Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hi, I'm Conan Librarian, and I don't have a podcast. I do, however, like most of us, have the need for a place to store, organize, customize, and create my tabletop campaigns, thoughts, and ideas. That's why you should check out ObsidianPortal.com, customization that will match any need you have, a fantastic community, and an experience in and of itself that will get your players engaged, not just during the session. ObsidianPortal.com. Your players don't just stay at the tavern. Why should your game just stay at the table? ObsidianPortal.com. Welcome, everybody, to tonight's episode. So we have got another awesome interview for you tonight. It's going to go hand-in-hand with one of our most recent field trips that's appearing on the channel, a field trip for Masks the Worst Generation. But before we get into introducing our guest tonight, it's a fantastic game. Mr. Myers, Mr. Miller, good evening. Lovely to see both of your smiling faces once again on a dark and definitely autumnal Thursday evening. Hello, I am happy to be here. Excited to be here. We are coming to the end of our week after a fantastic actual play that we did on Sunday and we've got the one of the people behind the team uh, of that actual play and I'm really looking forward to uh, getting down and talking more about the game. How about you Mr. Myers? How are things going down there? Doing great. I've had a lot of fun today reimagining. I know I've mentioned a little bit being in a playtest of the LARP Anomaly. That's a southern New England LARP that's going to hopefully be kicking off after we get after uh, its creator gets done with the beta testing we're doing. Anyway, short version is after the first play test and some rules changes, I get to rebuild myself from the ground up and I'm going to embrace the beast mutations a little bit more. And I've had lots and lots of fun trying to figure out how I'm going to fizz rep becoming, turning my scavenger, my post-apocalyptic scavenger into a trash panda person. Ooh, I like this. I like this. I can totally picture you. And I don't take this the wrong way, but I can totally mm. picture you as a trash panda. Like that's like your 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 larger stature. Already a scavenger, and I'm like, if I'm gonna yeah. go into the beast mutations, the yep. trash yep. pandas are like the ultimate scavenger, yep. right? Yep. Possums I'm would be fun too. Like that could be. Well, could be just sent me something back saying, "Oh, did you see the new badger art we just did?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, that looks kind of hot." I think I'll, I, I like my trash panda. I'm gonna stick with Excellent. that. Yeah. If I Excellent. went badger, I'd have to like, change my game up a little bit and be more warrior like, and I'm just I'm not. I'm more of a collector. Yeah. 
So without any further ado, let's go ahead and bring in tonight's guest. We have got Kyle Rawlings from Five Points Games, the makers of the newest module for masks, Masks the Worst Generation. Kyle, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. Lovely to have you in studio with us. Thanks. Lovely to be here. Good to see you guys again. I had a lot of fun on the AP2. I know you guys mentioned that. I was looking forward to tonight, so happy to be here. So much stinking fun. Like for folks that haven't had a chance to listen to it, first of all, let me give the actually, you know what? Let's have you give the primer for it. Tell us what masks the worst generation is. And yeah, give us the five Uh, second or the five minute primer on what it is. Yeah. So masks the new generation masks the worst generation is a third party supplement for masks a new generation, which is created by Magpie Games. We did not create and are not claiming to have created masks a new generation. That was by Brian Conway and Mark Diaz Truman of Magpie Games, and of course their their wonderful team, who we had really good back and forth with. I talk with Mark every once in a while. We actually sent a guy from our company to help them run games at Gen Con, which was pretty cool. So they got a couple they got to meet Mark and a couple of those guys and meet doing pretty close connections we'll be getting some kind of tag to put on our stuff to say that we're compliant with their game which i think we're the first third-party content that is going to get that we're not the only third-party content but i think at this point we're the only one that'll, that is going to have kind of an official thing which we might actually already have when this, this goes out and yeah that's what we are we're a third-party supplement for masks so if you like masks we're more masks it's 400 pages of more masks content which we'll unpack i imagine during the interview here yeah, absolutely. Let's get to it, gentlemen. Let's uh, let's pick up our D20s and roll our initiative and see who gets to go ahead and ask Kyle the first round of softball questions before we get into the hard ones. Huh? You guys said that you had, I know Leo and Nick has said that he had some written down, so I was really looking forward to seeing what, what he had to yeah. throw at me. Yeah, yeah. So, Glenn, what do you got? 19. 19. Ooh, okay. Mr. Miller? I got a beat. I rolled a one. Ooh, disadvantage next round. I have an 18. So, Mr. Myers, the initiative for this round is yours. Whew, I beat an 18. Wow. I know. As I saw the 18. I was like, I get to go first. I, I get to ask the softball question, but I guess not. Can you tell me a little bit more about the worst generation and yeah, what you created here and your adventure and your, your setting of San Francisco? So, I started running masks games through Play by Post on a server or on a web forum called Giants in the Playground. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Rich Burlew and his mm-hmm. webcomic. I've been on since, man, freshman year of college, so a very long time. And San Francisco started as my home setting. I didn't really want to use Halcyon City. I'm more interested in manga and manhwa. That's what I grew up reading. I didn't really grow up reading Western comics, not for any particular reason. It's just what we, my brother and I got into. So I wanted to bring a more shonen anime or manga element to Dion City, and it just slowly merged through this almost like a living setting. I ran one game, and then I took the characters from that game, and I took the advances they did in the city. And as the years went by, progressed the city in a way that uh, you would see in an actual city. So there's a living history with the game. Obviously, I can't show you guys here now, but I have 25 documents of timelines and where characters were introduced and where they dropped out, where they took pretty meticulous notes. So in San Fran 2, the second game that we ran, which lasted about two years, a bunch of the people that were playing in that game were like, oh, we really like this game. Why don't we just, why don't we make characters for three? Because we were winding down. And one of the the players had mentioned that they wanted to play a playbook that 
really didn't exist in the game. It's the Persona, which is like Red X from the Teen Titans show, which I now hear is actually in the comic, which is pretty cool. And I had done a couple homebrew playbooks when Masks was still in this beta stage, when G Plus existed. But then obviously G Plus <clears throat> folded and went away. Damn, <laughs> really hard. Yeah. I just got on the Discord that was made by Remnants of the G Plus, which fairly pop in Discord server, pretty active. And I made a couple playbooks. The Relic was one of them. The other ones that I made, which is like your Samurai Jack, you're from the future, you're from the past, you're in the future, you can't go back. And those, the one player, the player that was going to play the Relic just dropped. They just, they couldn't make it for the third game. And we just kept making content. It was really pop. My, the playbooks are really popular. I've done an absurd number. I've done about 40 playbooks for masks. Obviously not all of those are in the worst. Yeah, a lot. So we just kind of eventually my friend Sam and I, who's the co-owner of of the company, he does all the art and the graphic design stuff. He was supposed to be here today, but couldn't make it. I just said, Hey, you have the arts, the art skills. I have hundreds of pages of content. Why don't we just go for it. Why don't, we, why don't we start a company? And that's where San Francisco came from. It was just our homebrew setting with shonen tropes and that sort of stuff. And I, I think I said this during the AP, but the way I like to think of it is it's Studio Ghibli meets Hellboy. So it has that kind of <laughs> esoteric, interesting magic that Hellboy is really well known for, but with the bright colors and the coming of age story that Studio Ghibli is really well known for. So it meshed into a unique setting. Um, and obviously, stolen uh, concepts liberally from other manga, uh, the, the the warlords, which I think we'll talk about. The other like organized crime that's legal for supervillainy, obviously, comes from One Piece, from the Seven Warlords of the Sea, and some of the art, you know, which we've sent, obviously, pays a lot of homage to the anime roots, the manga roots that we've from. Okay. Cool. And I, because I had cheated and twofolded my question, the second piece of it was. How does the worst generation fit into that city? What makes them the worst generation versus the new generation? That's um, like the final piece of how you're different than right. Good, good question. So the worst generation is also a kind of a, a thing stolen from the One Piece. In there, it's the top ten or the top eleven that have a bounty higher than a hundred million, which that's pretty big in, in that world. So One Piece is my favorite manga. It's the one that I've been reading the longest. I've been reading it since 1998, and I just wanted to draw some inspirations from the comics that I grew up with. So in Masks, the official game, they put the timeline on gold, silver, bronze, obviously to coincide with the golden age of comics, silver age of comics. I mean, they roughly fit the same timelines, like 40s, 50s, golden, dark. I think they say 30s, 40s, 50s, golden age, then obviously silver age, 60s, 70s, bronze age, 80s, 90s. And then there's no age after that. It's the new generation. So I want to play, I wish that was a good play on words for like, New generation, worst generation, because everyone looks at kids. We're all of, a, of an older generation. It's always those dang kids or the dang millennials, <laughs> which I am a millennial, just barely. So I just thought it was a good, it was a good parallel and obviously a, an homage to One Piece. Kickstarter did not enjoy us being named that. They actually had a little thing like, don't name your thing worse. Don't use any negative <laughs> words in your advertising because it might make people not want to follow you. But we, had, oh, we did really well. We actually did, we did kickstart our, our book. We got about almost 11. Very didn't nice. do too poorly for... Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah, I didn't do poorly for our first outing with little with little market share or any kind of advertising. So in the worst generation, the city has three powers. They're called the Guardians West, kind of your Avengers, the Warlords, which I already mentioned, which are like the organized crime, super villainies. Some, part, some villainies legal, some villains not. They can't go and murder people, obviously. Us, the soft crimes, as people might want to call them, drug trade, people trade, that sort of stuff, they, they do that. Racketeering. And then there's the weather report. 
which as their name implies, they control the weather of the city. They're just, they're a storm from Marvel if she was paid to make sure that the weather was nice in the city all year round. So th these three powers kind of work against each other, push and pull in the power dynamics. It's a very shonen trope where you have multiple organizations that are going to stalemate and you have the underdogs that are the protagonists of shonen anime and shonen. That's just a common trope. Um, so we wanted to cast our teen heroes as that. You're, you're the worst generation because you have the possibility of changing the paradigm, shifting the balance, and, and maybe not even in the three powers favors, we call them the three pillars, but maybe in, in the your favor, there's other smaller teams that are running around as well that are operating. Like the monsoon, like we had in the AP, is another power that kind of mitigates and mediates between the three. So you might maybe empower them during play. So the worst generation is just teenage heroes that don't conform to that power structure or just are dangerous to the power structure as it is. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so I think that's our show for this. No, I'm joking because that's a great answer, like comprehensive and really going kind of soup to nuts on that. And so I think that one question that kind of came to mind for me, as as even as you were talking there, is I mean, you listed like all of the influences and the references and everything that, that you have in the game. What I really wanted to dig into was masks itself and this connection to masks and find out how did you two masks as the platform to showcase this? So was it really just, so do you view yourself as more of a comic book person coming to an RPG or do you view yourself more as like an RPG person coming to a comic book theme or some kind of mix between the two? Oh, de definitely. That, that's a great question. Definitely more of an RPG person coming to a comic. I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons, like a lot of people in this hobby. Grew up playing Warhammer, was really big in Warhammer yes. for a long time. Yeah, Sca Skaven represent in, 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 in Tyranid for 40k. I haven't played in a long time, but those were the armies that I played yeah. because they cost an arm and a leg and I don't have enough room in my apartment uh, <laughs> right. uh, to hold an army anymore. You play Warhammer because it priced me out, unfortunately. Yeah, it was very expensive. And I, I played Magic the Gathering. Uh, I played a, a trading card game called Magi Nation, which was pretty small, but it had a pretty cult following. So I've always been in this hobby. I moved from Ohio, which is where I'm originally from, to Arizona in about 2008 and left all my books behind. So there was about a four or five year period where I really wasn't in gaming. I was on Giants in the Playground, obviously. I was still active on that, playing mostly freeform games. So I've always been in the role play scene. I wrote my first, well, I guess what you'd call first tabletop game. It's called Words of Creation. It's designed for, for form play. You play as gods and the whole idea is like you're building up from the ground up a, a campaign setting. And... That's I've always home did a lot of homebrew for second ed, but didn't really get just didn't really get to play a lot of it. There wasn't a lot of people my age that I grew up around, so I really didn't play a lot of second ed. Um, I played with people much older than me for a little while, and then the store that I used to go to shut down. So I was mostly just home reading these books that I would buy with money from Christmas or birthdays or whatever, and eventually my own money, obviously from jobs and stuff. But a lot of my friends in high school got into D&D, which was 3.5. We got into Exalted. We got into Vampire the Masquerade, a lot of the White Wolf games. And yeah, eventually someone on the on the Giants forums wanted to run Mass. I had never heard of it. Never had heard of po Powered by the Apocalypse. I've known of Vincent Baker, who was originally the guy who created Apocalypse World, which is where Powered by the Apocalypse comes from. I've played Dogs in the Vineyard a number of times. It's okay. It's not really my favorite. It's got really good ideas, but yeah, it just didn't appeal to me, so I really didn't follow a lot of his stuff. But as I've gotten older, I've become less simulationist in gaming. It's obviously like D&D or Role Master or any of those games being simulationist. and more narrativist. Probably because there was that period of time where I just couldn't play D&D, &D, didn't have any of my books, so most of the games that we played were freeform or, 
are systems that people were on the forums that I was on, like Dice Freaks and that, when that still existed, were playing that were, were mostly freeform or fairly simple like light systems. So I think I picked up more of a narrativist style in, in that. And Masks just really clicked with me. I really enjoyed the game that we played and I got to play a delinquent. It was really fun. And... Our GM just disappeared, as often happens in Play Play Post, <laughs> and everyone in that game was like, oh man, we really want to keep playing Masks, and I was like, those who are doomed, doomed, who like to follow are doomed to lead, so I guess I'll just pick up the GM <laughs> scepter and we'll go from there. That's a great quote, by the way. <laughs> was it those who love to follow are doomed to lead? Yeah, those who follow mm-hmm. are doomed to lead, yeah. Huh. Great answer, again, that's fantastic. So thank you. I really like that answer. I've been playing in a play-by-post game for around a year based on somebody we had on the show. They talked about it, and I wanted to try it out, and I'm in love with the game. I'm, we're running through Ghosts of Salt Marsh, and I'm having an absolute blast with it. I can really appreciate the don't have enough of your things, need to play something that's cost-effective. I went through a situation about 10 years ago. I was fortunate in that I had all of my old books but I did not have the ability to get out and go do things. I was actually just, was over well over 10 years ago, but newly single dad. So leaving the house was not an option because I had a young child. And so it became a nice respite. It was the way I could not do the work, take care of kids only thing. It was gaming. And so it was inviting my old friends who I used to game with to come over to my house every Saturday night to game. And going from there, and that, and the beauty of it is, it was a hobby when I had very little financial resources to spare that I could go with what I had. And then every now and then, get a little windfall, pick up a new book because each piece was not so terribly expensive that it couldn't be done. And honestly, right now, the cost of a book is about the cost of a night out. Yeah. But it was, it, for me, the calculation is, the night out or months nigh on infinitum amounts of fun as long as it's a book the content is worth the paper that it's in that's how i did that so i really Back when you were single because that doesn't work anymore right no no it does not because and I <laughs> when you're weighing the cost of a book habit. versus the cost of a night out and the wife is involved and you choose yeah, the book it's a different calculation <laughs> once you're no longer single for certain and thank you because well my wife does not listen to our show all the time she does hear me edit the show, so she will definitely hear this conversation. Once again, Glenn, one million thank yous. <laughs> what are wingmen for, my friend? Yeah, absolutely. As we sit here across the screen, so me and my Superman shirt, Glenn and his Batman hoodie. This is what we do. But moving on to my actual question that I have with my fantastic one. <laughs> I noticed the fact that you had said in your first answer that when you started this this game, this world, sent San Fran Sopro, that you had played characters or run characters in this world, and they became the older generation. Now, having done the AP, I know of the three factions because we we interacted with them throughout that, that game. Which of the three factions came first? Or, or, and were those factions ones that you, play, that you played or ran? Uh, yeah, I didn't play. I, I was I, I GM'd all the characters. So the weather report came first. We had a protege who wanted to, or we had a doomed, which is the Raven playbook. You're you have a nemesis like her dad. You're gonna die. And she, the character wanted to, the, the player wanted to change playbooks, which you can do in, in masks. So I was like, really don't didn't really introduce a lot of heroes. 
that they felt like they really wanted to be a protege of. So I introduced Juan the Cardinal as a, a character. And the four Weather Report members all have a three-letter name of vaguely Chinese extraction. And then a, a bird that they're associated with. So Juan the Cardinal is the Autumn Court. And then there's Liu the Robin and Jin the Chickadee and Lan the Finch. So I really am... am grateful to Oda, the guy who writes One Piece. He really, as I've said, it's my favorite. I take a lot of cues from his world building. And one, one thing that I really picked up from him was if you want an organization to feel organic, you should have a strong theme with them and you should make it not just in, in like characteristics, like obviously they're related to the weather, but in their naming. So each, you know, when you hear, oh, that's Lee or the Robin, you, any character that's the then the bird oh they're associated with the weather report doesn't matter when i introduce them as as long as you know that's the naming convention you know what to you know where they come from the guardians also came along in san fran too so yeah we had the directors in san fran one obviously was very proto there was a lot of stuff that just did not appear like it did san fran 2 is really where a lot of these ideas crystallized and the game that we're still running it's called after dark is where Things have progressed now actually to the past where the book is. Book is The book is very much like San Fran 2 with some of the concepts that we crystallized in San Fran, San Fran 3. And then the Warlords, I was going to do another city, and I had the Warlords, and no one signed up for that game. And it was between San Fran 1 and San Fran 2. I just wanted to run a, like a three or four session game where they would have been the central antagonists, and then I would have been back to San Fran. And like I said, no one signed up for that game, so I was like, I have these villains. I really want to do something with them. So I just pulled them into San Fran two and they were an immediate hit everyone really really liked them and their naming convention which we talked about in the they're all named after D classes so there's the warrior the rogue or the which is would have been the fighter but the warrior sounds better than the fighter the rogue the sorcerer the cleric the, the bard yeah so keeping those strong naming themes has been pretty consistent all, all the way through that was a good question i don't think anyone's asked what came first but yeah it was definitely the other report uh, and it was definitely Juan the Cardinal, his character's kind of changed from his first inception. He was, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like Kingdom Hearts, but he was very much like um, Axel from Kingdom Hearts, uh, the redheaded guy with the chakrams. And he's, he has become like an agoraphobic techno maid that uses like robot copies to run around the city because he's, he doesn't want to go outside and, and deal with people. That's an interesting thing because I got the sense when you were describing them and when we were playing that these were more than just NPCs, like they felt, lived in, breathed in, worked, and part of the fabric of the game in a way that made me think that there must be more to this than is going to come up in this one adventure and a lot to explore there. And then when you gave your answer, I just needed to know where that came from. So I appreciate appreciate that answer. Thank you. I believe in something, I guess we can call it the law of conservation of NPCs. I think that a a story shouldn't have too many NPC characters because the story is obviously about the, the player characters. And I, I really like masks in this regard because they, I'm sure it's in other Power by the Apocalypse games, and I'm sure it didn't originate as a term from masks. It's the, this is just the first place that I introduced was introduced to it. They're called triangle relationships. So you have two PCs. So we let's say Bolt and Old Brain, two of the characters from the AP. And then we introduce an NPC. So we could use like Snow Fox from the AP. And you ha- so maybe Bolt in the AP was asking Snow Fox for a date. So there's a positive relationship between Snow Fox and Bolt, and there's a negative relationship between Snow Fox and Old Brain, and that creates a dynamic between Bolt and Old Brain 
insofar as that NPC. So it allows you to keep the NPC numbers down while keeping the dynamics and the narrative between those characters vibrant. And it really helps you build up on the NPC. And I really like to make sure that my NPCs are fleshed out. I, I, I don't just like saying, oh, this character does X, Y, or Z because that's just what I want them to do. That's what I feel like they need to do. If a character isn't going to do something organically, in, in my opinion, they're like actors. They're like, you want them to be feel lived in so that they feel more real. Like Snow Fox, for, for instance, who's, a, who's kind of a traitory, ladder-climbing lady. But she's not going to go out of her way to just do something nice for someone out of the kindness of her heart. She has her own mo- modus operandi. And it's really simple to, to just write down three or four bullet points per NPC when you only have nine or ten NPCs that you're really focusing on at any one time and seeing where those bullet points go and where they interact, not just with the PCs, but with the NPCs, because the NPCs obviously interact behind the scenes and they, there's, it helps make everyone feel like they're not just NPCs, but they're just they're almost like player characters as well. Sure. They have their own wants and desires. So, unfortunately, there was one problem with the analogy that you created in there that I've got to throw in really quick. Bolt would never ask Snow Fox out because... He knows that the knight has a thing for her, and Ah, there's this thing about bros, and you just don't do that. (laughs) Did you know you could have been listening to this episode two days ago? That's right, because early access to our episodes is only one of the benefits that we offer to our Patreon subscribers. You can get early access to every show, exclusive content, and the opportunity to throw dice with your favorite hosts every month. Right now, we're running a membership drive through the end of November for our first anniversary. If we reach 20 subscribers by that date, we will start a regular live show. And when we get to 25 subscribers, we're going to open our tables for a second Patreon-exclusive game. So if the actual play episodes aren't your thing, you can still join your hosts on the download. For more details, go check www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys, where you can subscribe for as little as $1 a month. And thank you for enjoying the show. Gentlemen, here we are in round two. So D20s to the ready. Let's see. Let's see if Lee can uh, roll himself out of this hole. Oh, Let's I'm see. at disadvantage right now. You are indeed. Yeah. It's a 16 for 15. me. 15. Oh, 15. 15. Right. So off by one, yep. we switch positions. Yep. Okay. Well, you should not roll against disadvantage next time. But that's, that's, I would have been an 18, though. Yeah. See, it's sad. That's, see, this is why advantage and disadvantage, best mechanic in Dungeons and Dragons. So anyway. It is. Uh, it is fundamentally their best mechanic. Yeah. Kyle, first of all, I, just, I want to thank you, first of all, for the depth of, of information that you were able to go ahead and give us this first time around here. Oh, the you. work that you have done on Mask of the Worst Generation and for gamecraft in general is fantastic the depth here is huge and that's i think where i wanted to go first is one of the things that you had mentioned is that you've written something like 40 different playbooks for masks of the worst generation or for masks in general that are playable in either masks of the next generation or the worst generation or any other kind of masks build and playbooks in the powered by apocalypse ethos are analogous to subclasses in dungeons and dragons on some level it's maybe they're closer to classes than subclasses but where i'm going with this is that of course so we just ended our kickstarter where the kind of core feature of that book was 12 distinct subclasses 12 distinct variations on the on kind of the big 12 classes in dungeons and dragons and writing 12 was daunting there was there was it's hard to write subclasses that are well balanced and feel good and are flavored wise and having written over 40 of them let us bask in the font of uh, of wisdom that is kyle and five points games how did you find uh 
the gaps, for lack of a better term. How did you find, what was your inspiration for that? How did you find where to slot in distinct angles on different characters and, and for that many different playbooks? So uh, those are very grandiose. Thank you. I don't know if I live up to those expectations. <laughs> I am the grandiosest um, of the three of us, so it's a... <laughs> but so playbooks, and, and not to correct you, but more to extrapolate on what a playbook is, at least when it comes to masks, they are dramas. Each one kind of is a story that you want to tell. Like the legacy is obviously the family, whereas the protege is maybe like living up to a hero image or the Janus is the responsibility between your true self and the not true self, the mask that you wear in society. And it, I'll be the first to admit, we probably have some playbooks that have some overlap with some of the, the official playbooks or whatever you want to call the core playbooks that Magpie has made. Like the Royal, which is in, in the worst generation, is you're, you were raised to be a hero and now the family wants you to make good on the years of training and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then, you know, that there's some similarities between Legacy and Protégé there. There's no doubt about that. Uh, mechanically, they operate differently, but in, in themes and drama, you, you could easily play someone like the Royal as a Protégé or a Legacy. But it, I mean, that, that kind of answers, I think, the question in that the gaps are just where the dramas don't exist, and there's only 20 official playbooks. Some of them more along more fit the comic book more than the teen drama. And Masks is all about the teen drama over over being the superhero. You're the Teen Titans. You're the Young Justice. You're not Spider-Man yet. Although I would even say Spider-Man has a lot of like teen drama elements, depending on what version of Spider-Man that you play or you watch. So that's where it's like, what what drama? In the narrative, do I want to tell? I have three questions that I always ask when I sit down to, to write a playbook. What drama does this tell for me? What drama does this tell for the narrative? And how do the other players interact with the drama that I'm bringing to the table? So I, th I think player interaction between players is really important. It's a dynamic that a lot of games don't play up. Like D&D, there's nothing in a class in D&D really that allows a another player to come in and make a call. Yeah, there's healing X, I'm buffing Y. But there's no, I'm, I'm answering a question that your drama introduces into the story, not, or not in the mechanics, not in the rigging. Obviously, different G GMs can introduce that sort of stuff, but Powered by the Apocalypse really allows you, since it is more narrative, to blur the line between what's your player character and what is the table's character. I, th those three questions really helped establish the, the broad strokes of how I approached a approach the yeah. playbook and some obviously cool. took a while to write i think the persona went through four or five different revisions over two years the royal which magpie has seen and, and has said is really they, they really which was a great day for me because i was like yeah, <laughs> right. the game like my stuff the tactician which we talked a little bit about in the ap i don't know if that'll make it in you get access to every single move in the game not just in the core stuff, but our stuff. And moves are like how you affect the narrative. They're like the abilities that your character can do. So it took myself and I wrote that one and then it had a keyword decision. So you actually like crafted your own moves and it didn't play well in playtesting. We do extensive playtesting and then we do an extensive like what went through playtesting, like an audit process. We call them audits, myself and another guy. So one, one day he just said, what would you, how would he just pinged me on Discord and said, what, what would you do? with a playbook that accessed every single playbook move. And I said, well, I have this tactician is the name, but I'm not really happy with it. I didn't, I actually deleted the link so that no one could look at it. So I was really, I don't put anything out that I'm not personally like really happy with and I'm never happy with anything. So I have people to make sure that I just don't delete everything that I write. And about 24 hours later, I 
I sat down and created the what was the proto system for the, the tactician. And it's almost like gambling and almost a poker game, the GM. So the GM actually gets to interact with the mechanic where you get to pick a number of moves that you have access to during that session. But there's a way for the GM to replace moves that you've picked. Uh, there's actually ways for the, the players to introduce moves, to change moves that you've picked. So it's almost like Vasian casting where you get to, you know what you're going to do give or take by the narrative of the previous session. So you can work around and get a leg up on the next session, but there's ways so that you're not just completely overpowered because there, there's so many ways for you to lose moves and have, and then have moves replaced by everybody else. So it's, it's that, which really goes well with the label shifting mechanic that is in, in masks where you, where your stats aren't fixed. They're very fluid. You have adults and other players changing how your stats roll out. So really play, plays really interestingly, that playbook. It's not obviously a playbook that you would want to run as a first-time player. Not even a move, not even a playbook that I would suggest for people who've played two or three games of Mass. It's definitely one where system mastery really helps. But we have a full Google Doc, which actually has, there's a hyperlink on in, in the PDF that you can follow that lists all the moves that we thought were good to take on a player side. And we have an entire section for the GM of moves that we think that the GM would benefit making them take. And we don't have any like reason written down, but we might be doing that when we go back and revise it. Like why we think this move is good for the tactician, why we think this move is good for the GM to sw swap out on your list. What, why do these moves we think work really well? And we have a section where these moves just aren't going to work well for this playbook. Don't take these moves. So we've done everything that we can on that playbook to make it as friendly as possible given how mechanically strange it is, um, even in the context yeah. of masks. Sorry. Hmm. Uh, long, no, long no, 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 that, that's, <laughs> that, that's great. And, and the, if I can take anything from that, it's that when we, when we approach any of our kind of content creation, we are very much, we, we style ourselves as storytellers, right? We're trying to tell specific stories. And that very much was the basis of the work that we did in this last book was that we had specific stories that we want these stories, that we wanted these subclasses to tell. We, that's where we found the niche. It's like, you know, what if, what if we can, what would a X class with abilities from Y class look like? How would that kind of translate through the lens of that particular class and everything like that? And what's the story that's the, what's the story that's underlying there? What's the kind of the narrative that runs through that? That's, that's very much something that I think that we pulled from a lot of like narrative-based systems like Powered by the Apocalypse and kind of in a, an approach and also pulled from the way that we structure our games at our own table. We're very much a story before rules, a storytellers. And so, yeah, that really resonates with, with me anyway. Yeah. I, I think I'm on a couple of Discord servers for game designers. And as I continue as a game designer from a hobby, as a guy, like I said, I've always homebrewed stuff. As, I, I, as I've transitioned from a hobby game designer to I won't say professional because I don't know if I'm a professional yet, but to whatever I am now, I think it's, I think it's always good to look at other systems. I, I'm obviously writing my own Power by the Apocalypse game at this point, and I've looked at 30 different Power by the Apocalypse games, maybe even 40 at this point, seeing what they're doing and, and taking inspiration and seeing where their head's at in the design space. But I think it's important to look at other, not even non-narrative systems. I've looked at non-Power by the Apocalypse game systems and gone, oh, that's a really clever idea. I really like, like Advantage, like you guys were talking about. I didn't know. I'm just now getting back to D&D itself. And I think D Advantage is a really interesting system that, that Fifth Ed operates with. I actually really like it. And Huge simplification of an Advantage mechanic instead of having to have a gazillion modifiers. I like it a lot. Yeah. And I'm definitely more of a less is more kind of designer. I like Powered by the Apocalypse because 
you don't have 13 plus ones to one roll and then two to another. It's very simple numbers. It's 2d6. It's very easy. As long as you have 2d6, which are the common, most common dice, you can play it by Powered by the Apocalypse game, and you don't need math charts, and you don't need, like, Roll Master, where you need trigonometry for, for some of the roles. Like, you don't need that. <laughs> you, you know, it's, very, it, it's, it's approachable, it's simple, and you really don't need a lot of mechanical rigging, because a lot of the mechanical rigging is, like, what, what makes the scene interesting, and you can just go from there. I think that's where the beauty of, uh, of advantage-disadvantage comes in. It's when all else fails, you can always lean to that, and very few people argue with it. A bad thing happened. What does that do to me? You can figure yeah. out all these different things, or you could just say, yeah, roll that at disadvantage because it should be more challenging. Yeah. And everybody's happy with that. The dice still determine the outcome. The story rolls on. You've wasted no time moving the story forward or carrying the ball forward. It's one of the things I love about Powered by the Apocalypse is um, – and certainly in the game we just played is the fact that once you get your mentality out of a 5e style and you're in a pbta style and that is a different brain mechanism yeah definitely. there is a connection i think i have fun playing both but i really do enjoy the those narrative elements it's the hardest part for me is having a power or, ha or having moves and then what do you do? What's your power? The game doesn't define what your power is. What the game defines is how you get to use it. Right. You define what your power is and looks like. So it's very much a collaborative story building type of thing. You, the player, decide the what. All the game does is say, here's what happens when, or here's yeah. what happens with how. And, yeah, and that's a very different mechanic, whereas Dungeons & Dragons does the opposite. They define the what you, to some extent, try to determine the how. In most cases, Dungeons & Dragons leaves that to the dice. You get to change things like the color of it, the shape of it. That's it. In yeah. this case, you get to decide everything except for how that plays out. And that's the magic of a power by the apocalypse yeah. system. All right, Glenn. Okay. My next question was actually going to be about playbooks, but I've been scooped and I don't want to follow up playbooks <laughs> with playbooks. See, the, the dice so determine the outcome. See? Dad. Yeah, it makes a difference. I'm going to hit you with one that hurts me whenever I have to answer it. And I apologize in advance as a fellow creator, but I do know from experience with the projects that we've been working on that a lot of things that we did truly love, a lot of things that had great story and had great lore still hit the cutting room floor oh yeah which one hurt the most what have you lost what have you had to say no to that you really wanted to include but for whatever reason it just didn't make it into the and what was the reason it didn't make it into um, the game. The, the great question Lee. because i had so much already written and in mind nothing really got into the book that I didn't want to get into the book. I'm trying to think. But I think we're asking more what things that didn't make it what into the didn't book that make you really wish. Yeah, what, yeah, what did, what yeah, did yeah, make yeah, it yeah. into the book that I wanted to get into the book? And I'm really, I guess this is probably just part of my design theory, but if it didn't get in the book, it shouldn't have been in the book. So I think there's, okay. a, I can't think of anything that I wanted in there that didn't get in. We weren't on a page limit. I'm sure Sam would have probably liked it if we, the book was a little shorter. <laughs> and it really is. If, if it was one page, we, we did double page spreads, it'd be 400 pages. It would, yeah, quite a lot. So we, I just, I guess I, we, we added stuff to the book. We added, originally San Francisco sightseeing wasn't in the book. And I was like, we already wrote it. It's already out there in the market. Why don't we just 
included in the chapters. We added a chapter. It was really only going to be eight chapters. It's nine chapters. A couple of the playbooks got shuffled around. The Defector was originally going to be one of the six core books. We have, we had six core books, and then we had four kickstarted playbooks. And the Defector was originally going to be one of the core books, but one of those things, I wasn't happy with how it was written. I took it out. We wrote The Ranger, and then we went back and rewrote The Defector, and I was happy with it again. And we discussed stretch goals. And I said, it was already going to be in the book anyway. We already talked about editing in the book, so why don't we just make the stretch goal? So I guess we, t- we talked about this a little bit in, in between the recording. We did a stretch goal book f- called Midnight Generation, which should be out by the time of this recording. It's a hack for Persona-style games, if people are familiar with Persona. It's a video game, JRPG. One of my other big inspirations. We had a stretch goal for art for it, and we didn't reach that. We were going to do our own tarot deck. So I'm sad that we didn't get to put that in. That that kind of was on the cutting room floor, because at this stage, we're at the if we don't have the time or the money, we're not doing it, because we're obviously moving on to our next project, which is our very first project that we've written ourselves. We have a ton of content from Mass. Like I said, 40, 40 playbooks. We've narrowed that down to... There's four or five more playbooks that we want to put out on their own. I've been writing a couple more one-shots to put out in the sightseeing line, where we take a couple places and a couple NPCs that we really like and then tell a story just uh, more adventure paths basically to, to put out so yeah hopefully that answers it I know that's not really a, a juicy answer I, can, I guess I can say okay, it doesn't have to be juicy and- you get you've answered it beautifully Thank even you. given me an exact example you just recycled it back into recycle isn't the right word but refurbished and got it back out there in the same project the ones that I speak of when I say that hurt when I had to cut them they're not gone forever they're still in that process and they're coming out in one of our future books it's awesome but at the time, it was really painful to like, no, okay, we've got enough going on here and shove it to the side. And so that, that was yeah. you know where my question came from, but you just had Absolutely. a different experience with it, with that process. And hey, great answer. And then, like I said, maybe it's just my design philosophy. We talked about this a little bit. I did karate growing up, which is one of the, one of the ways that I got influenced and hooked into the Japanese culture and obviously not Japanese, but my family has been really connected with that. We grew up around a lot of Japanese culture in my, our little neck of Ohio. And I guess it's almost like a Zen Buddhist thing. If it's not something that you want, you just put it out of your mind and you don't think about it anymore because one one of my favorite koans is kind of like a little story. Two monks are, are walking on a, on a road and it's been raining. So there's water puddles. And they see a, a young lady standing at the puddle, not wanting to get her, her skirt wet. And one of the Buddhist monks, not allowed to touch women, separated from the world, picks up the woman and puts her on her back and carries her over the puddle. And they go on their way, the two monks. And the first monk turns to the second and says, why did you basically break one of our, not commandments, but why did you break the rule of not in, in, in touching an opposite sex? That was wrong of you. And the, the Buddhist monk says, the second monk says, I put her down at the side of the out the side of the puddle, you're still carrying her. So just this, the whole thing is just be, once it's done, there's no attachment. And that that's always been a, a philosophy of mine. Like I said, if it's not, if it's not good enough for prime time, then I, then it doesn't go in. And if that's the way it is, that's just kind of the way it is. Nice. Good follow up too. Thank you. All right, Mr. Miller. All right. I was going to ask a question that was threefold, but in the interest of fairness to everybody else, I'm going to ask a twofold question. Having to go last, you're going to ask three questions. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. This is how I this is how I deal with disadvantage. So, we had mentioned mechanics and advantage being w- one of our personal favorites from Five E. With Power by the Apocalypse in general, what is your favorite PBTA mechanic? 
And then the fo- the following question is, what is the, your favorite worst generation mechanic that you've put together? Good. Those are both really good questions. I really like shifting labels. I'm sure that there are other Power by Apocalypse games that do it. But I, I just, I like that non, I, I like the fluidity of your stats. We all, I'm sure, have a story of someone who just boosted their one, I only need strength, so my strength is 40. And it's like any time that you need to use their strength, they always, they, it doesn't matter what they roll because their stats are so dang high, they're just, they succeed no matter what. So I like the ability to go in and say, yeah, your strength stat lowers because you see yourself as weak in this situation. The stats aren't physical, they're tied to how you perceive your character and how the characters perceived in the narrative. And I think that's a really interesting mechanic. And it goes hand in hand with influence, which there are, there's a lot of different influence style mechanics in Power by the Apocalypse, but I, I like the more binary aspect that masks has where you either have influence or you don't. And if you do, there's mechanical benefits. And if you don't, there's mechanical negatives and benefits on both sides. I know Monster Heart and a couple others do strings where it's like a currency where you spend to show that you have influence in that or leverage in that scene. And I know that it can get messy. Favorite favorite mechanic that we wrote for Worst Generation. Oh, okay. So there, there's a trope in Shonen Manga to have like battle tournaments. I'm sure you guys are familiar with all the battle tournaments in Dragon Ball Z. Just yeah. as an easy example, but like Naruto has them. All, all the big ones have them. Um, so we wrote two different rule sets to show the mechanical, like the mechanical benefit, like the mechanical side of doing your own shonen tournaments in the worst generation. And I'm answering one that isn't a playbook. So one of them is I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Firebrands. It's a mobile suit zero hack where instead of rolling dice, you have a dialogue. So the GM will say we are doing this scene, and then there are rules where you um, of engagement between the two people, and you ask questions back and forth. Like one of the good examples is like you're at a dance. So one of the so you ask questions to the other people. So you say, "Oh, you're my dance partner." So so you have two people in the scene. I approach you and offer you my hand. How do you respond? I take your hand and do a curtsy, et cetera, et cetera. So you, so it goes back and forth with I answer your question. So I pose the first person gets to pose a question, then the second person answers and gets to pose a question in response. So it's like a call and response thing. So we have that as a rule set for the battle mechanics. Uh, but then we created like a rock paper scissors one where you pick like an element. And then it's a, a pick three, and it's like a rock, and it's literally like rock paper scissors, lightning counters, earth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And whoever doesn't, who has the least amount of counters, gets to make a narrative move. And it plays really fast. It plays really quick. You have three rounds. We wrote the two because a lot of people were unhappy with the kind of the call and response style because it didn't take playbooks into account. It divorced the picks of your playbook is you could answer any way you wanted. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think if you're answering questions, you should be informed by your playbook and the narrative that the playbook brings in, but a lot of people just didn't grok with that. So I wrote the other one where your playbooks do matter because it takes into account your labels and it takes into account the moves that you can make outside of the choices that you get to make from the battle mechanic. Um, so I think that they were both two answers to a question that no one asked, but we, that or maybe even wanted. It's appropriate for the themes that we were going for and the tropes that we were going for in in the manga and the anime that we were inspired by. And yeah, we've run the battle mechanics for the street tournaments, we call it. And people really seem to like them. We're pretty happy with them. I also really enjoyed the label shift when we played at the table the other day. Like that a bit that that whole mechanic around I can boost one thing, but it comes at the expense of something else was a really elegant way to handle that to keep 
to keep one player from becoming too powerful in one regard, it's always a give and take, right? Sure, I can go ahead and push something if I really need to go ahead and succeed, but that's going to have, it has blowback, it has consequences. I really enjoyed that kind of dynamic and that sort of balancing aspect. Playing the protege with the and the way I had chosen my labels, my ability to use my power in a big way to manifest itself was very limited by some of my labels or my chances of success were limited by my labels. I actually rolled quite well during a good, during one stretch. That wasn't as big of a mechanical deficit, but it was certainly a structural thing that I was aware of in the choices I made. There are times I went to ask questions as opposed to attacking because of where my labels were. So that shift, when that shift happened for other reasons, then it switched it so that was less of a problem and I had those chances back. And so I took that as, okay, now that I'm here, that means my character's in a different mindset, so he's going to be more aggressive. That's where that mechanic really supported the narrative that I was going for. It was like, I'm not really going to do this. I'm a smart character, so I'm not going to do something like that if I thought my chances weren't great, so I'm going to hold off for now, do these other things. But once the situation changed, then I need to now damn the brakes, we're getting this done. And that was very narrative. It felt very natural, and the mechanics were right there pushing it but they were also supporting it. So it almost felt like a chicken and the egg. Was it me changing how I was going to handle it? And then the mechanics shifted or was it the mechanics first or, or what have you? And I'm sure there's an actual time when it happened, but it felt so natural that it wasn't, it didn't break the verisimilitude of the game in any way. And that's a really good hallmark of, of a great mechanic. When even if it changes dynamically what's happening, it, it feels like a change, but it feels like a change that was supposed to happen. And that's a great thing. Yeah, I wish I came up with it, personally. But yeah, brand, brand. <laughs> yeah, that was a core mask mechanic. Yeah, it's a core right? mask. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, didn't introduce any core, we didn't introduce any core mechanics. We just were a supplement. We just took what was already there and did our own thing with it. So a lot of the, a right. lot of the playbooks really factor in on influence, and influence is the biggest way you change labels. Yeah. The playbooks that I mentioned that we want to release, like, just on their own, all four of them have like heavy influence mechanics in their playbooks. We're actually, we're, we're thinking that we don't have a name for the four playbooks, at least three called the war book with the witch, the ace and the Ronin, because we're very, so we're going to do something similar <laughs> with those four and we're going to call it under the influence is the working title of, of that book. Nice. Nice. I actually think that surprisingly, after only two rounds, I think this is the fastest the fewest number of rounds I've ever had on an interview on lightning round. Okay. I've got one right off the rip. Fire it away. Fire it away. Why PBTA? It just happens to be the system that I've enjoyed the most in, in recent time, and I have the most system mastery of any current system. So, excellent question. You mentioned uh, earlier that y'all are writing your very own fully original game for your next project. Yes. Short version of what's to come. It's going to be a Power by the Apocalypse game. Is Again, that's what I that's what I know and I enjoy. Inspired game off of Pokemon and Digimon and all those all those kind of monster hunting games. It's called the Monster's Tale. You can find the beta actually on our on our itch page, which I'll be saying here after Josh asks this question. We're touching it up. It's we only have a week to put it together, so there's a couple things missing. We got a lot of feedback of what the layout should look like, so we've made those corrections on the file, obviously. So it'll be an easier read here soon, but it has four of the playbooks and not the full playbook, but enough to run each one and really excited for it. I've been running it for about two years, extensively playtested 
We've had, I think, 13, 14 different playtesters over the course of the two years. And we have an audit session on Sunday to go over the last couple things. And I'm currently writing the GM side of it. So it'll be about 90% done when we forget to Kickstarter, which hopefully should be at the end of the year. And I'd be happy, like I said, between recording sessions to come and talk about that when you guys have time, if you're interested. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, I definitely should start talk about that at the beginning of the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Real quick. If, if, if the dream originator of an IP walked through the front door of five points games tomorrow and said, please make a role-playing game on my product, who would it be and why? That's a really good question. I know these would be fast, but I need I'll, 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 I honestly need a couple seconds to think about it. No worries. We did too when we got hit with this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, a great, it's a great question. And I yeah. should have seen it coming because you guys mentioned you asked someone else that question. Oh, totally. Uh, we asked persona. that question. It, 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 it's in the, exactly when we asked us, uh, Sadie Lowry, who was on the show a few months ago. Yeah. 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 When if, somebody hit us uh, with it, I, we loved it if, so if much, you, we use it regularly. Yeah, if, <laughs> if you're still in contact with her, let her know. We have a Persona game prior to game coming out. And I would have said the creator of Pokemon if we weren't doing a, a Pokemon-inspired one. We actually <laughs> reached out to the Pokemon company to see if we could get licensed, which we didn't expect an answer, and we did not get an answer. We're tiny, so why yeah, would yeah, they yeah. give us the time of day? Um, sure. Man, me IP? Like books? Yeah. It's gonna be an interesting. It's gonna be an interesting answer, I think. But it's the one that just popped into my head, and it's inspired by something that that Glenn was talking about earlier about badger people. I think if Brian Jacques rose from the grave, I don't know if you know that name. He wrote the Moss Flower series or the Redwall series. Moss Flower's book in the in, <laughs> in that his books with anthropomorphic animals. They were a big series that I read growing up. Maybe him. If you wanted a game set in the Redwall first, I would be happy to write that. Although I think you could probably do that with Mouse Guard. There's probably games that you could pack to, to do that. Yeah, I would say him. Maybe there's a probably an obscure manga at this point. It's called Bandit Hunter Jing. Almost James Bondish, where the, the he's a thief that can steal anything. There's an anime series for it too. I highly recommend it. Very action packed, but very like Bond esque where he always gets the Bond there's always a Bond girl or a Jing girl in his <laughs> case. Maybe that one. Just because it gets really surreal and fantastical like one of the epi- one of the one of the chapters Oh, I'll finish this thought, but I actually did come up with exactly the one I would do. But he steals, like, the planets from the stars. Like, he plucks them from the air and he has them in a bag, which I thought was just, just kind of fantastical and interesting. But to actually answer, those, I think, would both be serviceable answers. But there's an anime called Mushishi. It's on Netflix. I And it's also a manga. I highly recommend it. It's about a tra- traveling medicine man who cures people from interactions with Mushi, which are, like, these little nature spirits that can cut one episode, a girl loses her eyes because the mushi, she, the mushi, these little almost insect-like things, but not quite insects, not quite spirits, go into her eyes, eat the light out of her eyes. So he cures her by restoring the light in her eyes. And I think that would make a really interesting episodic game where you're a, maybe even a solo journaling game, which I know are very popular now on itch, but you're a, maybe you're a team of these kind of wandering medicants through feudal land where you're curing people of ailments caused by spirits and like the interaction with nature where nature and mankind intersect. It's a great, I really highly recommend it. There's two seasons. They're 26 episodes each. They're incredibly contemplative, incredibly well animated. There are some episodes where the interactions between man and nature, which have caused the the problem are really applicable to today. There's an episode where a girl has a mushi trapped in her who it's like antithetical to life. 
and she's taming it by writing, but the way it, like, her entire skin is black because it's, it's like, made her body dead, and the way she's <laughs> slowly killing this thing is by writing with it, but she uses the, her finger and just the, the kanji just kind of, like, spill out of her hand like ink. And, it, and it's, and that's the action, it's just her kind of relating, like, the tales that she writes down are of people killing Mushi. The, what happened, what makes her feel better and makes it go faster is tales of not killing Mushi, but interacting with nature in a positive way. There's some dialogue about how we all live on this planet and we all have to interact with the nature that we're given. And we can either be stewards of it or we can destroy it and destroy ourselves in the process. And I think that would be an interesting, maybe not the most fun romp with those sorts of themes, but I, I certainly think it would be an interesting game to sit down and just do a session or two nice. of and really kind of not just explore yourself, but explore who you are and the nature of how you relate to the world around you and how and the villages that you go to would be an interesting way to develop their own character and pull out NPCs to show elements of that character. Yeah, I think that probably is my answer. Sorry. Long-winded, I know nope. it was lightning round, nope. but like I said, I, I can... <laughs> hey, no worries, so, man. That's been fascinating yeah, to go absolutely. ahead and have you in here and talk about all sorts yeah, of like stuff. Yeah, I like talking so, to you guys. Yeah, you guys are yeah good. absolutely. So first I've recently come interesting... up with a new Thank answer you. to yeah, that one too, by the way. I'm sorry. What was that? I said, I've recently come up with a new answer to that question too, by the way. Ooh, okay. Oh, yeah? What do you got? Yeah. Has anybody besides me read Ender's Game? Oh, I know. Uh, Ooh, I Scott. know of Ender's Are Game. I haven't. I know Ender's Game. made a movie out of it. The game. movie wasn't great, but if you just yeah. made like a one-shot centric or episodic short version game, it wouldn't be long campaign wise of Battle School. Could be, it could be, yeah. but you'd have to be really familiar with Battle School to get that. I think there is a game inspired by that. I'll send something to Josh if I find it. Yeah. That game might exist. I mean, if it does, okay. you guys might enjoy it. So many games out there, it's hard to come up with one that doesn't. Yeah. yeah. That's why I think my tried and true answer is still, uh, there's a trilogy of books by an author by the name of Jeffrey Ford. And the first one won a Nebula Award, so it wasn't like uh, unheard of, but he wrote a tr trilogy of books called the Well Built City Trilogy. And the first book is called The Physiognomist. It's all about the uh, main character of all three books who, through the course of the first novel, comes to realize that he doesn't actually exist and that he's actually a mnemonic device created by the head of the world because he is a wizard who is dying and he breaks out of a direct mellow's existence and then what happens it is bizarre yeah, and cool. surreal and, and it's great i love that trilogy and nobody that i know has ever read it yeah i've never heard of it <laughs> yeah what's it called his name, jeffrey, his, his name is jeffrey ford and the first book in the series was called the physiognomist so but, awesome i looked it up yeah I think for me, I would change my answer, whatever I've answered previously, because my struggle with that question is I couldn't think of IPs that I wanted to do that didn't already have games. That's yeah. really where yeah. my struggle came in. But <laughs> I would yeah. say, based on my TV viewing of the last couple of months, I would say the what desperately needs a game would be the Belisarverse, which would basically include the somewhat connected shows of JAG, NCIS, Los, NCIS Los Angeles, New Orleans, Hawaii, Red, which got tragically stopped before it got a chance to come out. And as it was has also been connected to Hawaii Five-0 and Magnum PI, I think that would be a fun hmm. universe to play a game in. Yeah, That does sound really awesome. Yeah, iconic uh, TV that, that was not though. an answer that I expected. I would have said the Golden Girls, but there's Brindlewood Bay, which is like the Golden Girls meets Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. Where um, you really learn why Betty White almost lived forever. Or better yet, it's, it's, 
every every episode starts with Sophia saying, "So I remember it like it was yesterday." Oh, I remember. Fall of 1933 in Salem, Massachusetts. Back in Saint, back in Saint Olaf, we used to go out and talk to the fish people all the time. They also like pickle herring. Yeah, it's another Power of the Apocalypse game. I've never played it, but I've heard really good things. Oh, that's hysterical. So, we, we we may have to reach out to them to go ahead and get. Yeah, get I, 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 there's, yeah. I would highly suggest it. I know that they're pretty cool people that that wrote it. It was also yeah. recently started. There's more content coming out. I forget their names. I'm bad about. Oh, names, I'm sure but, we can um, find them. I'm sure we can track them down. <laughs> so, yeah, but, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Cthulhu Mythos, but of all the Power by the Apocalypse games that I looked at when we sat down to start writing our own, it's such a weird premise. Golden Girl meets Call of Cthulhu. I just want to, I, I just want to ask them where did that come from. So if you do oh. get to interview them, I look forward to we'll make sure and let you know that yeah. when that episode comes out. Absolutely, yeah, yeah absolutely, but absolutely. Let our listeners know where can they find Five Points Games and where can they find everything that's in your uh, in your game portfolio. So you can find us on Five Points Games at Itch. Um, just put in Five Points Games or The Worst Generation. You'll get us pretty much immediately. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Five Points Games. That is our official Twitter. I run that. You can find Sam if you have any questions for Sam, which I know he wasn't here. But you can find him at Neon Shift. That's Neon with a three instead of an E and, an I, and a one instead of an I with an underscore between Neon and Shift. Because he likes to be different and difficult. And... That's that's probably the three the three places that you, you can find us. People are always free to, to ping me on that. I answer pretty quickly. We have our own Discord server, so if people are interested in that, you can always ask us and we'll send you a link. We have, we're not ready to have it public yet because we're still under maintenance and getting everything ready. We've been trying to get games on there. People have been doing mass games and our Monster Tail game on there on and off, and we've been doing some one-shot stuff when people have time. So we're picking up. Like I said, we have about almost 100 people on there now. Awesome. Yeah. All right. And where can they find oh. you guys? Oh, yeah. Everybody knows where they can find us. But if you just search for Tabletop Journeys, wherever you listen to podcasts, you will find uh, find all of our shows. We are uh, This is going to be like an episode in the mid-90s. We're almost up to episode 100. So Getting it's, closer uh, it's awesome. to the iconic yeah. 100. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, Looking forward to it. Yeah. Thanks, Kyle, thanks thank so you, much for having thank me on. Thank you so much for having like, us on. Yeah. Absolutely love talking to you guys. Yeah, I totally could talk to you guys for hours. Really? Um, yeah. we'll be in touch and um, Absolutely, thank, you, thank yeah. you again for having us on. Sorry again that Sam couldn't make it. Yeah, um, no worries at all. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No I mean, this is a fantastic episode. We appreciate some... you uh, making some time. Yeah. Thank you. I look forward yeah, to any, catching anytime. some Pokemon anytime, with you on your next one. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward uh, to it. All right. Thank you everybody out there for listening. Hope that you enjoyed this interview with uh, with Kyle Rawlings from Five Points Games. And uh, yeah, by all means, please make sure that you are uh, subscribed to the show so you keep getting uh, notifications on the Masks, the Worst Generation actual play that is ongoing right now when uh, when this episode airs. Kyle, fantastic time tonight. Thank you so very much for joining us. Uh, Luanika, Glenn, thank you very much as, as always. Uh, nice to see you. No, I'm thinking you guys. I talk to you guys every week. As so. always was yeah. mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Thank you everybody for listening and we'll talk to you again next week. Kyle from Five Points Games, thank you so very much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. Good night, all. Later. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, 
Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.